Welcome to OECD Podcasts, where policy meets people. Digital technologies are profoundly reshaping our world, affecting how we live, work, and play. The trouble is, not everyone is on board, with some people in places leaping ahead, while the less digitally connected are left behind. This is particularly worrying for women, as whether digital creators or consumers, men still dominate, and the numbers speak for themselves. For instance, did you know that worldwide 200 million fewer women than men own a mobile phone? Or that 250 million fewer women have internet access than do men? That's quite a gap, and it doesn't stop there. Women earn only 25% of higher degrees in information technology courses, and they are far less likely to pursue a tech career. Only about 10% of tech executives are women, even fewer are investing partners at top venture capital firms, and only 5% of startups are owned by women. And here is another stark fact. Although fewer women are online than men, they are far more likely to be harassed there. I'm Kate Lancaster. To consider this digital gender divide and explore what needs to be done about it, I'm delighted to be joined by Gabriela Ramos, who is not only OECD Chief of Staff and Sherpa to the G20, but a passionate advocate for gender equality. Welcome, Gabriella, and thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation. Happy to be with you. These numbers that I just started with, they really pulled me up short. What do you think is behind them? Is it our social structures, our public policies? What is happening is that our policies are just reproducing what is created in our families, what is created in our schools, what is created inside our own self-belief. Mm. And we know that women in general uh, have less uh, confidence in themselves, even if they are good uh, students. We have our uh, PISA report who assess uh, student uh, uh, performance. And what they tell you is that even when uh, girls are good at school or are good at maths, they don't have the same level of confidence. So it boils down into the expectations of societies of what women are capable of. And then the ambitions are not set up very high by the family, by the school, and therefore the girls, why would they be ambitious? And then there is the role modeling mm. whereby some uh, boys are supposed to be doing something, girls are supposed to be doing something else. And this division of labor creates all these inequalities. So it's a combination of everything. Of course, we are the house of best practices in the OECD. Indeed, we are. And therefore, I think that policies matter, but matters to, to change these mindsets that mm -hmm. uh, are really putting uh, many, many women behind. And we're particularly worried because the digital transformation may open a, a gap that will be very difficult to close if we do not act now. So how can we break the self-perpetuating cycle? How then can we encourage more girls and women to study science and tech and to pursue careers in these fields? Well, first of all, we should be aware of all these biases and try to address them because they go from the, uh, from the cradle to the grave in the sense that uh, girls, when they are very young, are expected to behave in certain ways and are expected to pursue certain patterns. And therefore, uh, good uh, interventions uh, at the policy level is, for example, to make sure that uh, textbooks that we use in the classes since early on in the early childcare education, but also in, in primary and secondary, are uh, gender neutral. 
that you don't see girls with beautiful uh, mm. pink dresses uh, dancing in yes. ballet, which is great. I love mm. dancers. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. But that you don't only see the truck drivers or the or the constructor workers yes. that are only men. I think that we really need to eliminate those stereotypes that then are reproduced mm. because they are reproduced uh, in the in the movies. They are reproduced in the television. They are reproduced in the social networks where women are really uh, uh, impose certain ways of behaving. And what this brings to you, the fact that they do not believe in themselves, they do not believe that they can be engineers, they do not believe they can be ICT or uh, pursue careers in the digital sectors, and therefore you have uh, only, I think is 0.5% of girls that want to go for the ICT sector, which is the future. Mm. And it's only 5% when boys are 5%. Mm. Women are 0.5%, mm -hmm. uh, boys are 5%. And then it goes from this selection bias that you don't go to those areas because these are male, but then it goes into what you were saying. Girls then do not choose those disciplines that are probably better paid. And then you start mm -hmm. with the gender gap in terms of salaries. But then you cannot enter into the sector, the technological sector, the Silicon Valley lacks mm -hmm. a lot of women, not only in the managerial levels, but even in those that are developing the softwares. 80% of the software is being developed by male-only teams. And you know, that's why we think, and this is a joke, but uh, that uh, probably we would have less uh, uh, war games and yeah, no, it's <laughs> if true. we have more design <laughs> yeah. by, by women on, on these areas. And then you go into the managerial area and you look into the investments, innovative activities. And so it's lower, 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 all the time, lower, mm -hmm. lower, lower for women. And the compounding effect is that you are underrepresented in this very important sector and this very important uh, uh, technological revolution that is reaching everywhere. Well, I think it's interesting this dearth of women really has an impact on the digital divide and uh, that if women aren't present in creating the digital world, and it's not just about role models, it's about what's at the tools that are being made, the products that are being made, they're then absent from that. And where are the women? Uh, It, to me, it sounds a bit like when we talk about the times when they used to test medicines for everyone only on men. It, it's very <laughs> similar, you know. It's, uh, so what, what can we do to create a digital world that doesn't just reflect half of humanity? What are some concrete things that countries can get going on? Well, change the role modeling, for example. In Mexico, we launched a program mm. that is uh, Niñas Stem Pueden. It's a very straightforward program. Because as I said, we are bombarded with images of uh, men that are uh, doing certain things and women that are doing something else. But when you ask girls, okay, you want to be an engineer, you want to be a scientist, or you want to be a math uh, uh, expert, and they go, no, no, that's for boys. What we did in Mexico was to gather together a group of role model, mentor, women that are in science, that are astronauts, that are developing robots, that are looking into the very interesting and funny things related to technology. And then they go and talk to girls to encourage them to go for this discipline. 
If you go to girls that are from 11 to 15 year old, when they're starting to define their own identity and what they want to do in the future, exposure to these role mm -hmm. models is fantastic because then they look at them and it's like, wow. And of I course, I can do this too. And of course, these mentors are not going there, Kate, and telling them, you want to be a scientific and develop the latest formula. No, because this is boring. Mm -hmm. What they say is like, you want to build a robot. It's fantastic, it's fun, and therefore they, they can do it. And and that is changing the, the conception that these girls have in terms of going into these disciplines. Then, of course, you need to adjust the, the, the educational settings because if you have uh, an engineering class that is only full of men, it's a very difficult environment for women. So teachers need to be conscious that they really need to change the way the class is organized. And you go on and on and on to try to create an environment where women feel they can deliver and that they don't need to be discriminated or, or nothing about it. Role models work, but you also need the infrastructure to help this to happen. Just one anecdote. Uh, one of our experts on gender issues has a, a daughter. She, they are German. And the daughter is 12 years old. And uh, when there were these campaigns in Germany, she asked her mom, if men can also be chancellors of Germany. <laughs> That's wonderful. <laughs> so it's this kind of mindset. It changes and, and, things. But also to inspire them, yes. to make them think that they can do it. This is the whole point because many girls are told, no, you cannot mm. do it. And then you need to have everybody around saying, of course you can. Yes. If you don't want to do it, because we are not going to be just pushing everybody to be engineers. I mean, they, if they want to be uh, experts in literature, we're not going to force them. But we should not lower down their level of ambition because of lack of self-confidence. This is the point. Mm -hmm. And so then what happens after all that education? We have empowered a girl. We have put her through all of that. We have said, you can do it. She comes out top of her classroom engineering school. What do we need to do next to encourage female entrepreneurship, to encourage women to take those ideas and that creativity and that passion and make things? Well, I, I will go to the, to the basic. I think that you also need to change the role models in life with family-friendly policies because when, when girls come out from school and they choose very demanding um, career paths, uh, then, then faced with the reality that they are pregnant, that they are moms, and therefore usually women around the world carry the largest share of family duties. And therefore, what do you do? There are many policies. First of all, of course, I invite boys to share that burden. Yes. <laughs> it's not a burden. I have to say it's beautiful to have yeah. babies and to take care of babies. So boys should have themselves thinking and changing their mindset to enjoy taking care of their children, which is fun. But besides that, I think that you need to create the infrastructure that will level the playing field because mm. the playing field is not equal. Because sure. you're pregnant, period. Because you have the baby, period. That's a fact. And then, of course, the society imposes certain roles. But if you have a good service of childcare facilities, you see it in countries like France, where they have a very well-developed childcare facilities infrastructure, you have higher rates of women working. And this is not only good for women, it's good for men, it's good for the mm. families, it's good for kids. So one thing is the family-friendly policies, but then when we talk about uh, leveling the playing field, you need to go for affirmative actions. And these can go into really taking the measures to ensure that you always have women when you are recruiting for different posts, 
but also that you can uh, develop well-established quotas for women in certain positions. This is what we do, for example, in the board of executives. And this is what we do in some congresses. In Mexico, for example, they did a quota for women and then they reach equality, half and half. Of course, then you have the president of the Congress saying that uh, they would be full of uh, incompetent women. And I said, well, we're maybe full of incompetent men without quotas. <laughs> so it, it's a joke. But yeah. the reality the reality is that it needs to be very well defined. It needs to be merit-based. But uh, you really need to make sure that uh, these hardcore interventions are also useful to ensure that women get their chance and that we break the stereotypes that prevent them from reaching uh, the higher levels of decision making. And so that brings me to another question, the financial cost and the social cost of not doing anything. What is the cost of not closing this digital gender gap? I think that one of the contributions that the OECD has made in this debate since we launched our gender strategy, and we have been documenting this and, and had very great uh, uh, progress in the G20, for example, with the gender target, is that there is an economic case mm -hmm. for gender equality. It's not morally is morally yeah. good, is an ethical imperative, is, is, is humanly fair. necessarily, yes. is fair, but is also producing more competitive yeah. Businesses, when you have managers that include women, companies' stock exchange value go up. And I can get into that, why these things happen or why we think it happened. But it's also the fact that all the countries, Kate, all the countries in the world, the OECD, but also developing economies, have invested a lot in girls' education. Yes, so true. then you are just wasting this investment. We have had a very interesting reports telling you that if you open the space for women to really fulfill their full potential, economies will be earning 2% GDP growth higher. In a context with growth rates are around 2 to 3% world growth after the crisis of 2008, can you imagine 2 percentage point additional? I'd like to end on a more personal note. Could you tell us what led you to become a gender champion? Well, it led me to get to know uh, all these uh, hidden ways in which women are discriminated. I was not. I was born in a family that actually uh, was very demanding and was uh, uh, really uh, putting a high level of uh, ambition in their children, independently of being boy or girl. Uh, but the reality is that uh, I got to see that uh, it's not the same in all the families. And as I said at the beginning, girls are always lagging behind because they are not expected to succeed. So the fact is, how do we ensure that there is this level of ambition that we need to deliver? And I got to work a lot in the OECD because of a very powerful uh, U.S. ambassador who was putting this uh, issue on the table and we were documenting the business case for uh, gender equality. But I have to say that in a personal basis, very deep, deep, deep personal basis, I lost my wonderful uh, sister uh, because of an earthquake uh, and she was a single mom. And when she, I mean, she left us and of course, beautiful, I remember her always. But I realized that her life, even though she was so successful, so strong, so full of resources, uh, uh, single mom faced a lot of obstacles 
in terms of finding the jobs, getting the right salaries, in terms of their children having the same uh, opportunities. And therefore, it doubled my commitment because I think I also owe it to her. Gabriela Ramos, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure talking with you. I'm Kate Lancaster. Thank you for listening to OECD Podcasts. You can find more of our insightful interviews on soundcloud.com slash OECD, Spotify, and a range of OECD platforms. To learn more about the issues we've been discussing today, go to www.oecd.org slash gender.